which is we are the we are the few, the proud, the Marines. I'd like to adopt that motto for us, except that I hope we're not proud, and we're certainly not Marines, but we certainly are the few. So uh, maybe we can go with that. I received this morning, or not, I didn't receive it this morning, I, I read this morning a couple of papers that came in, I think in Thursday's mail, might have been yesterday, it's these last few days have kind of run together for several reasons, but uh, <clears throat> I think we have some startling new and better understanding. I think we also have some confirmations of some things, and uh, I'm not going to tell you about them today. We'll wait until probably trumpets and atonement. Besides that, I want to study uh, more carefully and flesh out some things and uh, put other scriptures with them to make the story more complete. But there's a, some, I think, key pieces of the puzzle that have been added uh, by someone not even of this group at the time. <coughs> uh, so I would ask you to pray about it, that uh, if this indeed be true, uh, and the things that are stated are, in fact, true, that uh, that be made clear abundantly so. And so far, from what I've seen, they fit very well, like more pieces of the jigsaw puzzle to make the picture more complete and more understandable. So I'd appreciate your prayers about those, uh, those things here in the next few days, because I probably will address them on trumpets, which is... Tuesday, and again, some more on atonement, because uh, ironically, the two papers fit those days very, very well, and they came at just the right time. <clears throat> so, uh, send your prayers up to God that we might have better understanding, and I think will help explain some of the things that we are going through right now, in fact. Trumpets, as I said, is coming up this, this coming Tuesday. We will have services at 11 and at 2, so two services on trumpets. And then we have another event two days later on the 15th, the fast of the seventh month, which was the time that Gedaliah, the interim leader, of Israel at that time that had been left behind it with uh, Nebuchadnezzar's captivity was killed. Uh, it's a very, very important event and uh, has portent for the end time as well, as, as do all the fasts of Zechariah that are listed. So trumpets on Tuesday and the fast of the seventh month on Thursday. Now we'll get into the sermon, and I want to make an announcement as part, or at the beginning of the sermon, because it's germane to the situation, <clears throat> and that is that we lost Charlotte Nichols yesterday evening, Friday at 5.15 p.m. Uh, word may have gotten around some uh, that she had had a heart attack on August 10th, and... Uh, 
Her heart was impaired about 80%. She had about 20% function left, and she has survived with that until yesterday, which is actually somewhat remarkable considering. And uh, because of the heart failure and the lack of capacity, uh, it had a great impact on her kidneys as well, which shut down. Maybe several factors involved, but that uh, certainly is germane to it. And uh, she was hoping to recover early after her heart attack and be able to attend the Feast of Tabernacles. And then as her situation deteriorated, she was hoping to make it to the Feast of Trumpets. And she got real close. In fact, she was on hospice here recently, and uh, the nurses said it was incredible how long she had been able to struggle against the adverse conditions in her body, and they thought she was a very, very strong individual to be able to fight it off as long as she did. So, uh, also, as with Darla Schutger, she had very, very little pain through this whole thing. Uh, Darla fought for actually several years with cancer, and remarkably, she was essentially pain-free throughout the whole time. It doesn't mean it wasn't hard and difficult as she deteriorated, but uh, I think God took that pain because cancer sufferers often have a great deal of pain involved, especially after they have operations and so on. It seems to increase pain, which she didn't have. <clears throat> but Charlotte also had some pain just prior to and during her heart attack, but very, very little after that, until the last day or two she started suffering some difficulties from being in bed and so on, but I think fairly remarkable that she had as little pain as she did through this whole thing. And I'm thankful she lived as long as she did to have some time with Nelson and with her family, which most of them came out uh, and visited these last few days uh, over the last week or so. I was able to talk with Charlotte quite a bit and uh, frankly, I just told her I felt she was one of the pillars in the church and that she had been a remarkable and good example. Of course, she had her faults, her mistakes, her weaknesses, like we all do, but uh, there's no one above that. So uh, I think she has been a very good example, and I'm certainly not the ultimate judge, but in my mind and opinion, I feel Charlotte will be part of the first fruits and the bride of Christ based on her faithfulness through the years since she was called into God's church and enduring to the end. <clears throat> and I, I take it as a good example as well, uh, one that can be looked to, that she decided she was not going to go the route of surgery uh, and of chemo, or not chemo necessarily, but I'm trying to think, dialysis is the word I was looking for. Uh, she decided uh, to be anointed, and although she did take oxygen and a couple things uh, to ease her and so on, uh, she decided not to go the invasive route and instead left it in God's hands. And today she is in God's hands. And in the next split second of her cognition, I think she will be rising from the grave and headed to the kingdom of God. If that could be said of all of us... Uh, that would be wonderful. 
We still have some trials and troubles and tribulations and some overcoming to do uh, so that we hopefully can be where I hope she is, waiting for that resurrection. And I wanted to make this announcement in terms of today's sermon because in talking with Charlotte over the last few weeks, uh, it became very, very apparent, which her family already knew, what her favorite passage in the Bible is, Philippians 4, verse 8, making Philippians, of course, one of her favorite books, if not her favorite, since her favorite passage is there. And she made the remark many times in the last few weeks that her concern was not for herself and her own healing, but her concern was for the church and its healing. And it's no mystery that we've been going through uh, quite a little frustration and difficulty and division and problems in this congregation, and that's to which she referred. In a larger sense, of course, the entire Church of God has suffered uh, what we have also been suffering, uh, so it's not unusual in that sense at all. It's just part of what God prescribed. Uh, and some of what I have learned from those papers I was sent from a non-member, at least not a member of this group, uh, play into that and I think help explain where we are and why we are, and I got great encouragement from it. Uh, but Charlotte was very concerned, and she had expressed those concerns, and that is part of the major reason that I put a note on the door last week that we were canceling services, partially at least, because of her situation, but that normally would not have done it. But the attestation from her that she wanted to see the church healed, and she made the remark that she had had a physical heart attack, but she sees within the church of God a sickness, an illness, a heart attack, diabetes, cancer, spreading through the church of God. And that was her main and foremost concern, is that the church be healed. That is God's main and foremost concern, that the overall church of God be healed, and that even a small one like us be healed, because he wishes above all things that we prosper and be in health. God is very, very positive in his approach. So, she made a very distinct point of that. She says, if I'm having a heart attack, uh, so is the church. And that's what I want to see healed. So, in the light of that, I wanted to make a point of it, that if we have difficulties, healing is very, very important. And God is going to heal. We have seen many scriptures showing that through the prophecies, and it is as the waters of Noah to God that that will occur. He has equated his very existence to the fulfillment of those prophecies about the healing of the church here in the end time. So it is going to happen. And I believe that Charlotte was spot on in her analysis, and even in making the analogy of her physical heart attack uh, fitting Ezekiel 5 of the famine and pestilence, the disease, the sword, and the scattering and slavery of God's people in the end time. 
So while it is a very sad situation and we're going to miss Charlotte incredibly, uh, the prayer at the beginning, I think, was very fitting that God give comfort and help to those especially in the family who are bereaved, but really to all of us in the family of the church, because she was a very important part from the very beginning of this group, one of the charter members, if you will. So she is very dear to our hearts. With that said, let's go to the book of Philippians, and I think it is remarkable with the things that I have just discussed to see what Paul had to say here. He wrote this book of Philippians to the people at Philippi, and it is uh, very transparent in terms of showing what he and the church were going through, and it is very, very encouraging in terms of what he had to say to them and what their mood and attitude ought to be given the conditions they were in. So, uh, let's look at Philippians. This is written by Paul, but he wrote it as if coming from him and Timothy and the other servants of Emmanuel. To all the saints in Emmanuel, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, so he addressed the entire congregation here, grace or peace or goodwill be to you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Emmanuel. So, grace, goodwill, and peace were the first words out of Paul's mouth in terms of what he hoped he could accomplish through Christ, and through the letter that he was writing. Uh, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. So he was thankful that that congregation was there, that there were people there who understood the purpose and plan of God and were part of the church of God. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So our fellowship, as First John tells us, is in the Father and in the Son, and then with each other, to fellowship together. Uh, that is very, very important. And our fellowship was not in uh, being fans of the Green Bay Packers. Our fellowship is not in worship of Britney Spears. Our fellowship is not in the stock market. Our fellowship is in the gospel of Christ and in Him. That's why we're here. That's why we're together, is to understand and to follow the gospel of Christ. So that's our purpose in being here. Being confident of this very thing, that He which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Emmanuel. So God is promising here through Paul, and Paul had spent three and a half years being instructed directly from Christ, that if God has called you and brought you to repentance, brought you to Him and the sacrifice of Christ, He will never give up on that until Christ returns. He will never give up on you. He will never give up on me. We might give up on him. That is a possibility. The sower of the seed was not the one who gave up. It was the seed that were sowed, and where they fell, and what happened to them, and how they reacted to it, that caused them not to produce fruit. 
But the sower sowed righteously. And Christ has sowed righteously in you and me. And if he has called us and opened our minds, which he has, he will not give up on us until the day Christ returns. There is hope until that return, if we are alive and remain until that day. So is there deathbed repentance? Yes, in a way there could be. Ezekiel 33 makes it very clear that if the unrighteous repent and turn to God in righteousness, all their sin will be forgiven. It also says, if you're righteous and turn to unrighteousness, that your sin will not be forgiven, and that the Father will not answer for the Son, and the Son will not answer for the Father. In other words, our salvation is an individual thing between us and God. That will be confirmed a little further down here. And if he called you, he will not forsake you. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Romans 8 or 9, whichever it is. Even as it is fitting for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of my grace. So he says, I've been in jail, I've been stoned, all the things that he had gone through, uh, being in prison, the defense that he had had to uh, give for himself, and the confirmation of the gospel of Christ that he was seeing being brought out in his very life, and that they were partakers of that grace. So the same was true with Herbert Armstrong and the Worldwide Church of God. He went through a great deal. He went through persecution. He went through being in jail in Tucson, if you will. He went through heart attack. He went through people leaving the church, uh, ministers leaving the church. But we are all partakers with him, were we not, of all that he went through. We were there to observe, to feel, to be part of, Everything he went through, all the uh, persecution, all the accusation, everything that Herbert Armstrong went through, we shared to one degree or another. And Paul is saying the same back then of himself and these Philippians. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you for all in the feelings, the emotions of Emmanuel. So his love and concern for them came through the gospel and the love of God, and that's why he, who was not of Philippi, could love them who were of God, because it is the bond in the Father and the Son that pulls us together and makes us a cogent group of people doing the same thing. Verse 9, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. So Paul's pray, prayer, as ours should be, that we would abound. And God wants us to abound. Nowhere does it say that Christ is against us and wants to get rid of us. He wants us to abound. And in the knowledge and in the judgments we make, that it all be in Christ and in the Father and reflect their attitude, as we'll see a little later on. 
that you may approve things that are excellent. We are to look for that which is excellent, that which is good, whether it be knowledge or judgment in individual things. We are to look for and approve excellent things, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Emmanuel. That we be very sincere, not hypocritical, but that we give no offense or take no offense until Christ returns. That is a goal. That is something he projected to those people and God wrote down for us. We are to be looking forward to the day of Christ sincerely and no offense should be committed. Give or take. Omission and commission. That's a tall order to fill. Very tall order. It's hard not to give offense, and it's hard not to take offense. But that's the way it's supposed to be. And if we have any other mind, that is not the mind of God. We'll see that here in a moment through what he says. Verse 11, Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Emmanuel, to the glory and praise of God. So we are to have the fruit of the Spirit. Let's flip back and see what those are, just so there's no mistake in Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the mind of God, is this. Love. Joy. Peace. Long-suffering. Suffering long with people. Gentleness. Goodness. Faith. Meekness. Temperance. Against those there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts, and they have come to have these qualities in their mind. These are their internal thoughts. These are the attitudes that they have, as Christ explained in Matthew 5. These are the things that are in their mind, their, their operating mode, if you will, are these attitudes. Those are the attitudes of God and Christ. Now, we all have to examine ourselves, whether we be in the faith, and see if these attitudes are the attitudes we have day by day as we go through life. Now, let's for a moment contrast. I want this day to be essentially uplifting. But let's get the contrast before that. <clears throat> Verse 18. If you led of the Spirit, you are not under the penalty of the law. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest. Now, he's going to talk about the things that the flesh produces. The attitudes that people have who are thinking in the flesh. They are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lawlessness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, other-minded, or variance, negative-mindedness, emulations, which basically are sedition, uh, variance, I looked up, is more of alienation, 
emulations or envy or malice toward others, uh, accusation, uh, bitterness, anger, hatred, all those are not fruits of the Spirit. They're not listed over there. Those are all works of the flesh, and they are the attitudes of Satan the devil. Verse 21. Oh, no, let's go on. Uh, wrath, that's not a godly attribute. Strife, any kind of strife does not come from God. It's from the human mind. Sedition, that is rebellion. Uh, heresy, false doctrine. Envy, murder, whether it be spiritual or physical. Drunkenness, physical or spiritual. Revelings are celebration of things that are untrue, un not right, and bad. And such like. Anything that is negative, that basically is of the flesh. And we have to examine our minds and see what we allow to go through our minds. It's probably a combination of the fruit of the Spirit and this works of the flesh to check and see what we allow in our mind and see where what we think and allow ourselves to think or don't keep ourselves from thinking. See which side of this they're on. Now Paul is saying back here that we are to be filled in verse 11 with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Emmanuel to the glory and praise of God. So he's leaning here, not leaning, he is pounding on, in that sense, the fruit of the Spirit. That's what we're to have. That's to be our mindset, our attitude, mercy, we should have with one another. If we don't have those, we're headed for trouble, or, and or in trouble. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened to me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. So he says the stonings, the beatings, ultimately shipwreck, all the things, the persecutions, the hate from Alexander the coppersmith and others that he received, even of the church, he says are for the furtherance of the gospel of Christ. And we will find that everything that happened in worldwide is going to turn out, before it's all said and done, to be good. Everything that has happened to the church since is for a purpose and for a plan that God is going to work out that is going to save many people when it's all finished. So it's for the furtherance of the gospel. Through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. So whatever trials, troubles, tribulations we face individually or as a part of the body of Christ, God allows and uses them for his purposes. When we are in trouble, when one of our members like Charlotte was in trouble the last few weeks, she was in serious trouble. She eventually succumbed to that trouble and died. Heartbreaking. You know what it did for me? It got me on my knees a whole lot more than I had been. It got me thinking about all the things that are going on in the greater church of God and in this part of it. It hit me very, very deeply. And to sit and watch her day by day. And thankfully, the family invited me in as part of the family and let me be there to experience the whole thing. 
It was very, very moving to see her attitude, her desires, her commitment to God and the truth and to this group. It affected me very deeply. Now, I suspect that it did you as well, to one degree or another. She was much loved, and I loved her very much. So what did it do? It forced me to get closer to God than I was. And everything else that happens between now and the day of Christ is going to force me to get closer to God than the day before. I believe that. Because things are going to get worse and worse in the church, and they're going to get worse and worse in the world. That is prophesied. It will happen. Until the point there would be no flesh saved alive if he did not intervene. So if you think we've seen trouble now, wait a bit. But it's all for the furtherance of the gospel and the perfection of the saints and to cause us to turn to God with all our hearts. I've been preaching that out of the prophecies for many, many years now, and we have still not turned to God with all our hearts. Partially, maybe. 40%, 80%, I don't know. varies, and it varies by day and by person. But we have to turn with the whole heart. To God and to each other, as members of the body of Christ. You can't take parts off the body of Christ and expect the body to be happy. Expect it to be complete. And Paul is saying that. <clears throat> so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. He says what he had suffered and what he would suffer was a manifestation of God being with him and seeing him through. And he ultimately died as a martyr. For God. And the whole thing is there as an example for you and me. And many of the brethren in the eternal, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So he says, him being stoned, him going to prison, being delivered, gave people hope that they too might be delivered from their own sins and sufferings and difficulties and be able to stand <clears throat> with confidence and state the word of God without fear. If God could deliver Paul, he could deliver them. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. So here you have a contrast of people who take Christ's name and still have an attitude of envy, of strife, of embattling, of difficulty, of accusation. So they are preaching Christ, or saying they're Christian, and yet have an attitude of envy and strife. And some also of goodwill. So you have those who claim Christianity, who produce the works of the flesh, and you have those who have the attitude of the fruit of the Spirit. And we have to all sort that out in our own minds and get rid of one and embrace the other. Because every one of us is a mixture of all the above. Paul knew that back in the day he wrote this. 
We have to make right choices. We have to overcome to be in the kingdom of God and not allow the works of the flesh, the envy, the strife, to be a part of our members, of our body, of our mind. The one preached Christ of contention, anger, resentment, bitterness, disagreement, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. So there were those who were striving to teach truth, and what they hoped to do was add affliction to Paul and the bondage and trouble he was going through. But the other of love. So you had people who saw his bonds, his troubles, his persecutions, his difficulties, and they took the attitude of love within the body of Christ. All of this he is discussing. Knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. So he was going to defend the gospel, not necessarily himself, but what God was doing. What then? Question. What then? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, either way, Christ is preached. So the name of Christ is being held up, whichever attitude the people might have. And I therefore do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. At least, he says, people are paying attention to Christ, whether they got the right attitude or not. See? For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Christ. So no matter what the turmoil, he knew that it would all work out in the end for the good, because Christ is a winner. The Father is a winner. And he will not give up on us until the day Christ returns. He said that right at the beginning. So he says this is all going to turn out for good. <clears throat> all things work together for good for those who love God and seek and serve his and keep his commandments. So no matter what trials, persecutions, difficulties we go through, if we endure in faith and love and hope, it will all turn out good. What did Christ say, or was it Paul? In weakness, I am made strong. So, either of them that would apply to. Verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. Ultimately, if we stick to it, we won't be ashamed. We'll rise in glory. But that with all boldness, as always... He was bold, and he said he had been, and therefore would be. So now, also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Didn't matter, he said. I'm here for the Father and the Son, I'm committed, and whether he let me live or whether he let me die, it'll all turn out good. Ultimately, he died, and it all turned out good, didn't he? Because he will be in the kingdom of God. And I hope a lot of these Philippians who receive this message will also be there. And I'm sure they will. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose, I would not. He says, I'm living here in the flesh, I know I'm here for the Spirit, and I want to be in the kingdom of God, and it'll turn out good. But boy, in the meantime, 
I try to choose the things, and what I choose are things I would not. He said at another place, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. So he had a conflict going in there in his own mind between the fruits of the Spirit and the works of the flesh. He says that here, and he says it in that scripture. It's something we all face. And then it is good that we consider what Paul said here so that we better understand what we are going through. For I am in a strait, a hard place, between two things. Having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, he says, I could just die, and next split second I'd be with Christ. Which is far better. (laughs) It's just... I would be happier, it would be better, if I could just die and be with Christ in the next split second of my consciousness. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. What he was writing in this very letter, he could not do where he did, but it was more needful for them that he be able to write this letter, more needful for you and me today, that we would be able to read this letter when we ourselves are going through the troubles and tribulations of the end time. So he says, it's better actually that I be alive in spite of everything. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you, or continue with you all, for your furtherance and joy of faith. And as he wrote this, he was furthering their faith and helping their joy (coughs) by telling them, the attitudes they needed to have and where they needed to be and the goal that they were pursuing. That your rejoicing may be more abundant in Emmanuel for me by my coming to you again. So he was hoping that not only this letter, but a visit he would make in the future would be an encouragement to them not to give up, but to continue in what they had set their hand to do because he would not forget them. The only danger is that we forget him and we do not produce the fruits that we need to. Only let your conduct be as it becomes the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else not be there, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now God wants us to be one, He does not want us to be divided. He wants no schism in the body. He wants no separation. He wants us to be all together of one mind, even as the body is comprised of many parts and suffers when a part is missing. So we are to be striving together, not separately, not divided, but striving together, helping one another and putting forth the faith of the gospel and in nothing terrified by your adversaries. He had adversaries. The Philippians had adversaries. We today have and will have adversaries that it will get worse. Which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. So, those who are adversarial, those who take exception, those who divide have a token or a sign of their perdition. Perdition is the lake of fire. Any who have an attitude of division or separation or lack of one-mindedness 
or who are full of the works of the flesh, which include bitterness, anger, hate, accusation, suspicion. Those are not of God. Those are attitudes of Satan, and they're the works of the flesh. God will not have those attitudes in the kingdom of God. Do we understand that? God is going to have a peaceful kingdom with love and joy and peace and all the fruit of the Spirit. If any have, continue to have, and do not change the mind of the flesh and have any of these attitudes that are adversarial, will not be in the kingdom of God. That's why he says we must change. We must overcome. So we need to be very, very careful of our minds that we don't let attitudes that are ungodly, that are not part of the mind of God, control us, overcome us, divide us and split us, and make enemies of each other. That is not of God. If we have the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the forgiveness, the mercy, the patience, we will work out our problems and we will resolve them in happiness and reconciliation. But if we maintain the mind and attitude of the flesh and have those attitudes, we cannot. And we will go into perdition. So our lives are on the line. We need to be striving together. For to you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. We suffer, do we not? Yes, we do. We suffer from our own minds and emotions. We suffer from those who would be against us. We suffer from the persecution of the world. We haven't much yet, but we will. So there is much to stand against. There is much to stand up for. We're here to suffer for his sake. What did he suffer? For us. Read Isaiah 53. He was beaten, he was broken, he was despised, he was accused. He answered not a word. He didn't defend himself. He just let it happen. We are to have the mind of Christ. James put it another way. He says, if you suffer for things you did do, or persecuted for your sins, and you take that patiently, <laughs> that's no big deal. You should. If you suffer for things you didn't do and are accused of, and you take that patiently, then that is allowable to God. So, we have no right to lose patience with others. We have no right to condemn others. That's not our judgment. Our only right is to love, to forgive, to show mercy, forgiveness, and to help and strengthen and pray for. Those are godly attitudes. We're here, and we will suffer for his sake, no doubt about it, every one of us having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. He says, you're going to go through the same things I've been going through, Paul said. And fast forward to the 21st century, and we have a church going through what Paul went through. Chapter 2. I better hurry. If there be, therefore, if there be, 
any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any compassion and mercy, if there be any of that, fulfill you my joy that you may be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. So here he begins to direct us specifically toward the mental and emotional attitudes we need. If there's any chance of peace, of love, of fellowship, and being of one mind and one accord, we are to go there. That's where we should head. That should be our goal and our purpose. Vengeance, taking someone down, accusation, hurt, dissonance, we're not to go to. We're to go to any of the above things that we can. Let nothing be done through strife. There's not to be any strife, not to be any contention. We're to put that aside in any way we possibly can. Nothing through strife or vainglory, pride, the ego, vanity, envy. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. In other words, love one another. Sacrifice yourself for the sake of others. To help others. To forgive, to be merciful, to be kind, all the things he's talking about. Put that ahead of yourself. Now, of ourselves, we will react in defense. We will act in pride, in ego, and protect the self. That we will do. It's in me, and it's in you. But that's not what's supposed to be. Put the others first. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. You have your troubles. I have my troubles. We need to get our minds off our troubles and help others with their troubles. If you see somebody troubled, you're supposed to help them, not hurt them. Okay? That's the mind of Christ. And that's what he says next. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Emmanuel, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He didn't mince around about who he was. When they asked him, he'd say, you said so. At times he went ahead and let them know who he was. But he also was full of mercy and compassion and his mercy endures forever, another of Charlotte's favorite chapters, which was read to her the other day. That is the mind we are to have. Our mercy is to endure forever. Our hate, our bitterness, our anger are to go away as soon as possible and be replaced with mercy and love. Charlotte's own family, most of her children were here, and when they experienced what she went through, they were all closer as a family when they left here than when they arrived. Because they shared a grief, a sorrow, a heartache, a loss, and they drew closer together. 
When these things happen to us, we are not to allow ourselves to be separated with our minds on ourselves, but we are to draw closer and deeper bond one to another. That is what Christ would have us do. That is the mind of Christ. And that's what Paul is saying to the Philippians. But made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. He was willing to put himself aside for others and to die for every one of us. What an example he was. No pride, no vanity, no ego, no self-defense. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. If we could be that meek, if we could be that humble, our lives would improve. Wherefore God also has exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. We are to abase ourselves and let God exalt us as he so chooses. Put ourselves in the lowest chair, and if we be bidden higher, well and good. But as humans, we like to put ourselves at the top of the list. I be my. That the name of Emmanuel every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. He did it all. We should bow and abject worship and love and thanksgiving to our Savior. And that every tongue should confess that Emmanuel is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If we have our mind and our thoughts on Christ and what he did and who he is, uh, we don't have time to think about how bad we all is. Bad grammar, but I hope you get the point. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul could not accomplish salvation for them. I cannot for you. You cannot for me. Your salvation, our salvation, is not upon each other. We cannot save each other. We cannot create salvation in each other. We are to work out our own personal salvation with fear and trembling. Now, we try to work it out for others, don't we? We work on them. We analyze them. We judge them. We condemn them. We put them down. No, you're not supposed to be working on their salvation. You're supposed to be working on your salvation with fear and trembling, understanding that you are far short of the glory of God. Now, we should help each other in this walk, being of one mind and one accord, as he said above, and be like-minded and grow together in love, and certainly we're supposed to help one another. But it doesn't help someone if you are looking for sin, fantasizing sin, searching for sin, ferreting out problems. That is a satanic attitude. It is not a godly attitude. God's attitude is one of finding compassion, forgiveness, and mercy, of hiding 
sin. It is the glory of God to cover sin, not hide in the sense of trying to hide our sin, but to cover it in the blood of Christ. And his mind and attitude is to cover our sin. His blood gathered at the base of the stake to cover our sin. And I've said this before, and it's still true. Anyone who crawls to the stake of Christ, thinking they are worshiping Christ, and digging through someone else's sins, are following Christ with a spirit of strife and contention. They are not doing it in the spirit of love. If they had the spirit of love, they would look up to that stake and the one that was on it and say, Forgive them, Father. They know not what they're doing. Please forgive my friends, my enemies. Forgive all and make them part of the kingdom of God. Now, there's the attitude of Christ. That's what he lived. That's what he did. And if we dig through each other's sins at the foot of the cross that covers each and every one's sins, that is what Satan does. He is the accuser of the brethren. That's not our job. And it's not our job to judge. It is not our job to condemn or to sentence. It is to forgive, find mercy, to encourage and help, while we, at the same time, live in fear and trembling that our own sin might be forgiven. He will not forgive our sins unless we forgive those of others. He made that very, very clear. If we don't forgive as he does and have his mind, we will not be in the kingdom of God. It's a salvation issue. If you begrudge, if you hold sin, if you're not willing to forgive... 490 times a day at bare minimum and move forward in a good attitude, you do not have the attitude of Christ. That's exactly what he told us to do. We have no right, any of us, to look down upon each other, to try to figure out what people's sins are, to identify them, and to hold them accountable. That is God's job. And if we do it, we are self-righteous and we are vain, and we're headed for the lake of fire. It's just that simple. Forgiveness is the key. That's what God does. Does he do it with you? Does he do it with me? There is not a day goes by that I do not go before God and ask him to forgive me a sinner. Because I sin every day. I don't do things I ought to do, and I do things I shouldn't do. I have not had a sinless day in my life. I give myself a minus grade every day because I did not live up to the stature of the fullness of Christ. I fail every day. That is why I am thankful that God gives me a new day, as Lamentation says, every morning. Do we give each other a new day every morning? You claim it from God, don't you? You ask God to forgive you. I ask God to forgive me. Well, he says that only counts 
if we forgive each other in the same way. We have to give each other a new day every morning, just as He does us. And He says, if you don't, I won't give, I'll quit giving you a new day. I'll end your days. It's that simple. Scary. That's why we have to work out our own with with fear and with trembling. For it is God which works within you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. It's God working through each one of us, and we have to go to Him. We don't work out each other's salvation, we work out our own. And He works in us, and His good pleasure would be to give us the kingdom of God. He loves every one of us. Do all things without murmuring and disputing. We're not to murmur, we're not to complain, we're not to gripe, and we're not to dispute. I think we have growth ahead of us. That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. The world is full of malice and hatred and vengeance, of blame and accusation. That's what's on the news. Not good stuff. It's all that bad stuff. And the world is absolutely full of it. But we are to shine as the light of God, as the ones who are full of forgiveness and mercy and patience and love and joy and peace. Holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yes, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. He says, if I become a martyr, it's for a good cause. And I rejoice in it. Would that we could have the attitude of Paul and of Christ. And we're working on it. For the same cause also do you joy and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Eternal to send Timothy shortly to you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. He's going to send Timothy to help them, comfort them, and to report back. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are Emmanuel's. He said, at least I trust Timothy to maintain the faith, to have the right attitude, to work with you, and that's pretty rare. But you know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he has served with me in the gospel. So Timothy had been a faithful servant. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so as soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the eternal that all time myself might come shortly. Yet I suppose it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that you had heard that he had been sick. So Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus had had serious problems. For indeed he was sick near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So God healed Epaphroditus. I sent him, therefore, the more carefully that when you see him again you may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. He said, I'm just so thankful Epaphroditus is still among us. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation, because for the work of Christ he was near death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. Let's hasten on here. 
Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the eternal. Here's an attitude that we need, to rejoice in God. To write the same things to you, to me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. He says, I want to write to you about rejoicing. But rejoicing is our mode, our mental approach, our emotional approach. We should be rejoicing in our blessings, rejoicing in the gospel, rejoicing in Christ. And if we're depressed and frustrated and upset and all of those things, that's not the attitude that God wants us in. He wants us in an attitude of thankfulness and rejoicing over what we can, any compassion, any bowels of mercy, any help, any good report, and so on. Beware of dogs, or beware of those with Gentile minds, carnal human minds with the works of the flesh. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision, the circumcision, the Jews who were claiming to be of God but were not. You'll know them by their fruits. What are the fruits? What, what mind? What mindset? What emotion? What comes out of people? Love, joy, peace, happiness, unity, one-mindedness. Ah, wonderful. Anything else? Not of God. Fix it. Change it. We all have to. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. You angry at somebody? Brethren, you got five hours to get over it. That's God's mind. That's God's mind. May not be your emotion, may not be your feeling. You know, we, 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 we like warm, fuzzy hate feelings. We like bitterness. We like accusation. We like, we like suspicion. We like curiosity. We like gossip. We like backstabbing. No, he says, you can't do that. That's not godly. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Emmanuel and have no confidence in the flesh. We cannot be confident in ourselves or in anyone else for that matter. We have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinks that he has where we might trust in the flesh, I more. He says, you know, I could look at my background, I could look at myself and say, hey, I got more confidence than any of you. <clears throat> and what would he base that on? Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, zealous about the law, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, killing people, in Christ's name, he thought, or God's name anyway, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He was living the law as closely as he could, and could not be blamed. The Pharisees sometimes kept the letter of the law very, very carefully. Had lousy attitudes, but they kept the law. Not in the spirit, though. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. He says, I can look at where I was born, who I was born to, my background, my religious upbringing. I could be so proud. But he says, I count it for a loss. Yes, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Emmanuel, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. We've had to depart and give up all things, have we not? To come and seek God 
and try to worship Him the best we can. And do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. He says, nothing of the past matters. It doesn't matter who you're, where you were born, who you were, what education you had. It's just dung. All that matters is today and tomorrow and preparing for the kingdom of God. And be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And he's encouraging them to have that kind of faith as well. He said, don't depend on flesh. Don't depend on your knowledge, your, br- your brilliance, your obedience to the letter of the law or whatever. But faith in God. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable to his death. We kill ourselves daily. I die daily. We crucify the flesh daily to be like Christ is. We forgive, we forget, daily. If I by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, he, hadn't, he didn't have it made, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I also am apprehended of Christ. I haven't got it made, he said. None of us are saved. We are in the process of salvation. And we can fall at any time. If we've been righteous and our thoughts turn to wickedness, we will be lost. If we have been wicked and turned to righteousness, we will be saved. Ezekiel 33. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those which are ahead. I forget the past, Paul says. Whether it were bad or whether it were good, it means nothing. You cannot unlive yesterday. You can't make it better. You can't make it worse either. We move forward. We leave our sins at the stake every night, and we leave each other's sins at the stake by sundown every night. Any other attitude is satanic or ungodly. So let's be godly. Do you think if we each got rid of all anger and bitterness by sundown, every night with each other, we would get along better? Think so? I believe it. But if we hold it through the night and the next day, We don't get along better. You want love, you want peace, you want joy, you want happiness and unity? There's the place to start. Don't carry any attitude of the flesh past sundown. Get rid of it. Am I just flapping my jaws in futility? Did Paul write Philippians in futility? No. Some will respond. Some will move forward. Others will live in the past and be lost. Most, ultimately, will move forward. Because God is a righteous God who can cause that. 
But what kind of hell we go through first, I don't know. We shall see. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Emmanuel. If you're an athlete and you're dwelling on last week's loss and your failures, you're not going to compete as well next week. But if you put the past behind and you work in a positive attitude toward the next battle, the next race, whatever, you've got a much better chance of winning. But if you dabble in and dwell in and fret about the past, you're in trouble. Same is true spiritually, and that's what Paul is trying to get across. Let us, therefore, as many as be mature, be thus minded. Let's think this way, he says, if we be spiritually mature. If you still work and your mind revolves around the works of the flesh, that shows spiritual immaturity. If you forget the past and move forward, that shows spiritual maturity. So are we babes in Christ, or are we moving forward? As many as be mature, be thus minded, and if in anything yet be otherwise minded, or you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this to you. Well, Paul's revealing it to us, isn't it? Isn't he? Isn't he telling us, if your mind's still going in these channels, you've got trouble. But if you move forward to these channels, you're doing better. You're maturing. So, Paul's just laying it out for us and revealing it to us, or God is through Paul. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. So, take whatever level we find ourselves at, what we've already been through, what we've already learned, and move forward. Don't worry about the past, yours or anybody else's. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. So there's good marking, marking those who are doing well and saying so. And there's evil, marking that which is still fleshly. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping in my tears, that they are the enemies of the stake of Christ. The stake of Christ was a forgiveness and covering of sin and blood. And if you have any other attitude than forgiveness and mercy in the blood of Christ, you are working against the cross of Christ. You're an enemy and don't even know it. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, or the physical, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conduct is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Emmanuel. Look forward, look to the resurrection, don't look to sin, don't dig around the bottom of the cross finding it. Be thankful yours is forgiven, and thankful others can be forgiven. Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like the glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things to himself. He'll subdue Satan. Through him and his spirit, we can subdue our satanic nature, our human nature, and it is satanic. In effect, it can be subdued through Christ. That's why he says, if you'll overcome it, you'll be in the kingdom of God. 
Therefore, my brethren, I'm going to go on and cover chapter 4 because it gets down to what her favorite verse was, Charlotte I'm speaking of, in this which Paul wrote. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and longed for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the eternal, my dearly beloved. I beseech Eodius and Syntyche that they may be of the same mind in the eternal. They apparently weren't, and he wanted them to repent. And I entreat you also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement, uh, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the eternal always, and again I say rejoice. He's mentioned this before, and he says it again. Our attitude should be of rejoicing in Christ. If we are unjoicing in the faults and problems of each other, we are not rejoicing in Christ. That's a new word, unjoicing. Opposite of rejoicing. Let your moderation be known to all men. The eternal is at hand. We don't have time to sin. We don't have time to meddle with each other's sins. We can be working out our salvation and knowing that it is close. And it is closer today than it was when he wrote this, by far. Be careful or anxious about nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He says, don't worry, don't agitate, don't frustrate yourself over whatever, but rejoice in God and look forward. Showing us a state of mind that we should have. If you're not rejoicing and looking forward for your salvation and that of others, got to rethink your attitude. Got to quit thinking in the flesh. Think like Christ thought. He wants every one of us in his kingdom. He's working with each one of us, putting us through whatever he needs to put us through to help us overcome and grow. And if that means trial, trouble, and tribulation, that's what we'll get. If it means blessing, that's what we'll get. If it means encouragement, we'll get it. If it means frustration, we'll get it. Whatever it takes to get us on our knees and to come to an attitude of humility and meekness and rejoicing in God. That's where we need to go. And the peace of God will result. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Emmanuel. If you'll have the right attitude and approach, you will come to have peace that is beyond any human comprehension. Finally, brethren, now here's where he says your minds ought to be. And we need to each examine ourselves. This was Charlotte's favorite verse. She didn't always live up to it. You haven't, and I don't. But this is where we need to head. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, that doesn't mean sin and gossip. The context here is of godly things. You can say, well, this is the truth. He, she did such and such. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the truth of God. He's talking about the things that are of God. Those things which are sincere, which are right, which are biblical, which are godly. 
those true things. Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure. Sin is not pure. You don't think on that. Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. Human beings like evil report. We're curious. We always want to know how bad something or someone is, don't we? That's our nature. That's flesh. That's Satan, the accuser of the brethren, is who that is. That's not God. That's not godly. Look for good report. Somebody comes to your mind. Look for something good. Try to find anything good about that person. That's the mind of Christ. He's looking for something saved. He's not looking for something to get rid of. He's not looking for something to discard. He's looking to save us all. He's looking for good things to take to his father. And Satan comes and says, yeah, but here's some bad stuff about that guy. And Christ says, my blood covered that. Go away. I'm looking for something good to give to my father about that person. That is the mind of Christ. Let that mind be in you. Those things that are of good report. If there be any virtue, I dare say, Every person who has been called and given the Spirit of God has some virtue. If there be any, and if there be any praise, anything at all good to find and say, think on these things. Those are the things we are to think of. Those are the things that are to be on our mind. Those are the things that should fulfill our emotions, fill our thoughts, our responses. Think. That's your thoughts. That's what's going through your mind, is these things which he just named. If we are doing that, we are becoming spiritually mature. If we are letting anything negative occupy our minds and our thoughts about anyone and anything past, we are of Satan and the flesh. We are yet immature. As Paul said in Hebrews 6, Should I bring you milk or meat? What can you handle? Can we? Can we read? Can we memorize Philippians 4.8 and then not change the way we think? That is highly possible. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. If you fulfill, people want peace. They don't want contention. They don't want strife. They don't want frustration. We don't like confrontation. We don't like trouble. We want peace. He's telling us the way to peace. If you think the things that go through your mind, and you have to ask for help to get there, it doesn't come naturally. By nature, you're just the opposite of verse 8, and so am I. 
It takes work to actually do Philippians 4.8. It's easy to spout it and be a hearer of the word. But the doers will be blessed. And they will find peace. Haggai 2, I think it's verse 9, speaking of the latter temple, says, In this place I will bring peace. The people who are called as the remnant to come together to build the latter temple will live, they will think, Philippians 4, verse 8, because they will find peace. And those who will not think that way are going to be left out. That's bottom line. The God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the eternal greatly, that now at the last your care of me has flourished again, wherein you were all so careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. We have good days, we have bad days. We have blessings, we have cursings. We have trials, we have triumphs. He'd learn to handle both. And everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. He says, I've been taught by God that I'm going to have ups and downs, and I've adjusted, and I can go through it. And through all that, he is certainly implying, I maintain the mind of Christ. To think like he thinks, because you can't handle success if you get vain and, ego, and prideful and full of ego. You can't handle suffering if you get discouraged and are full of negative attitudes. It takes spiritual maturity to handle both. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. You and I can do nothing of ourselves. Christ himself said he couldn't either. And that's why he prayed with all his heart. That's why he sweat blood, if you will, against sin and against pride and ego and humbled himself and answered not a word, but was led like a sheep to the slaughter. We can do all things if we will turn to him and have his mind. And his mind is Philippians 4, verse 8. Notwithstanding, you have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. He says you, you had compassion on him when he was going through his trouble, and that was good, he said. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. He said, you cared. You suffered with me. You helped me. You encouraged me. He said, nobody else did that. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again to me, or to my necessity. You helped. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. He says, boy, if you'll just respond to what I'm writing to you and do these things, that'll be wonderful. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, 
a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. The things that are well-pleasing to God are a contrite heart and spirit, a mind of humility and meekness, love, forgiveness. Those are acceptable. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Emmanuel. We'll go through trial, trouble, and tribulation. We'll suffer. But it'll all come out good if we depend upon the one who can deliver us. O wretched man that I am, who can save me from this body of sin and death? Christ Emmanuel. That's what he said. Now to God and our Father be glory forever and ever. So even though he wrote of problems, even though he wrote of solutions, he rejoiced in God and gave him glory. That should be an attitude that we have. Thankful. Always rejoicing in the eternal. Salute every saint in Christ Emmanuel. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly that are of Caesar's household which is where he apparently was, in Rome. The grace of Emmanuel, the Christ, the goodwill, the uplifting joy, the forgiveness of Christ be with you all. Amen.